Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and I'll be your host. This evening, we're very, very fortunate to have a great speaker to talk to us about how to be a parent if you have low vision. And I know that for many of us, we may have young children or we may have young grandchildren, and having a vision impairment sometimes can make things a bit more difficult. Our guest this evening is Miss Julie Johnson. Uh, Julie, she is from Kentucky, Nebraska. Nebraska, Nebraska, York, Nebraska, yes, and she has a degree in sociology. Uh, She is an excellent educator and a lecturer, and she has written grants so that she's been able to teach young children and teens and adolescents and also adults to help them to avoid adverse behaviors and to actually try to stay away from alcohol and drug abuse. Last year, she was one of the key speakers at the American Council of the Blind's National Conference where she actually talked about how to parent with low vision. So I've heard so many great things about her, and I've been able to get to meet her a little bit earlier today, and she's a wonderful woman. So uh, welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. Yes. Now, this is really a new topic for us. You know, we often talk about things such as magnifiers or other things in assistive technology, but many times we forget about some of those most basic things, and that is how to be a good parent when you have low vision. What are some of the most important things that people with low vision need to be aware of if we are going to have children or if we're going to be around children? I think the, the biggest thing is to be gentle with yourself and realize that parenting is a challenge for everyone and you just don't have all the answers going in. Um, you just you learn as you go and that's how everyone does it. It's, it's not always, you know, about low vision or blindness. It, it's really about the struggles that we all have. Um, but yeah, there are some unique things <laughs> that you can definitely um, implement, you know, that are specific to low vision or blindness that would help. Yeah, for sure. Well, it was very interesting. It was about a month ago, and uh, there was a, a, a family party right around the 4th of July, and we had people over, and my nephew just had a baby. And it was so interesting. Everybody was so excited to see the baby. The baby's now about six months old. But I remember one of the things was is that one of the people, one of the, the one of the women there at the party, she said, "Oh, Bill, here you just sit here. Here's a comfortable chair, and just just sit here and be comfortable because we would hate it if you hurt the baby." Mm-hmm. And, and and I felt. Oh, my gosh, she doesn't even think that I'd be able to even carry this baby. I mean, just because I'm blind, it doesn't mean that my arms don't work properly. But I didn't go into any discussion. But in many cases, the general public, they don't know that a person who is blind or low vision can take care of babies also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's more just that general misconception rather than, 
you know, true. Certainly, you know, there are people out there that struggle more than other people. But I don't think that vision is really the determining factor. Um, You know, holding a baby isn't a visual thing. It's a, you know, knowing that you have the baby's head supported and that you're holding them close to your body, you know, so that they don't get away from you. But that's the same, you know, for everyone. Um, it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with vision. Yeah, and it was interesting because later my nephew he says, Hey Uncle Bill here, you get to work and you hold the baby now and he was laughing. But it's really more of a thing of are you comfortable with a baby? I know when my first mm-hmm. child, my daughter, was born, I was so afraid to carry her I didn't hold her head. I didn't hold her body next to me. I was holding her as though it was a rotten watermelon or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do remember those first couple of days, you know, in the hospital with my son back when you got to stay for a couple of days at the hospital. <laughs> now they got you, you know, it's like drive through. Um but back then, I guess I think I got to stay for three days. And, you know, they the nurses, um, it was required back then. They showed you how to change a diaper and give a bath. And you had to be able to put the baby in the car seat, you know, all those things. Um, and I don't know what the, you know, the, the protocol is now at the hospital um, where you're in and out so quickly. But it was very comforting to have that help. Um, because I didn't know, you know, I um, didn't babysit, mm-hmm. you know, didn't have those experience, wasn't really interested in little kids until, you know, here I have one, so I better get, figure this stuff out. Um, but the nurses at the hospital, I had a really good experience. You know, they showed me the same way that they showed the other parents. And, I, you know, and I made mistakes. I didn't get the diaper on perfect the first time, but you learn that one real quick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a leaky diaper, right? You realize, yes. uh-oh, yeah. I got to put it on work. tighter. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, what about so, that when you were first in the hospital and you said the nurses really did do a good job of teaching you? And one of the things that I always was somewhat interested in is that if a mother is low vision or is blind and you are breastfeeding the child, how do you know that your child's nose isn't buried into the breast and the child really isn't getting any air? Is that something you have to be concerned with? Um. I did breastfeed, and it was not an issue for me. Um, you can tell by the noises that the baby's making. I mean, there's a pattern, um, like a rhythm that they get into, you know, when the milk comes down and, and they're getting nutrition. Uh, and you get used to that. But I would always just check with my finger, you know, to make sure that his head was not at a weird angle and the nose was clear and those kinds of things. And I have heard from other moms that have had, like, lactation consultants really get on him that that's inappropriate, you shouldn't do it, it's going to create problems. And I, I'm not a lactation consultant, but I can tell you that my own experience it was never a problem, so I, I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I don't really understand what would be the problem if you did use your finger and you checked to make certain you could feel that your baby's right. nose is exposed to the air. What what wouldn't be wrong with doing that? I I honestly don't. I know some babies then will think that they're supposed to latch on to your finger, you know, and they would then leave the breast and try to, you know, that's the only thing that can come to my mind about it. But mm-hmm. my I never had that issue. I, my son was really easy to breastfeed, and I never had milk issues. So we were very blessed. Oh, um, to not have any any complicating issues there, but yeah. Now, what about I, in terms of changing oh. a diaper? You know, a lot of people would say, "Well, you can't change a diaper easily if you're blind." But I I I would choose to argue with that. I think that you can. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on what your motives are. You know, <laughs> like to get out of it, or um, so. No, I mean it's it's the same same thing. You know, lots of love those fancy new baby wipes that they have. Um, yeah, those exactly. those are an awesome. Those are right up there with like dryer sheets in amazing inventions. Um, so yeah, I mean you just get all. So for me the strategies were get out all the supplies, have everything laid out so you know where it all is so you're not like trying to open something one-handed, you know, while trying to avoid making a bigger mess. You know, you don't want to get yourself into that situation. So get all your stuff out, make sure that you have a safe space, you know, that your baby's not going to roll off the edge of something so like changing on a bed or in the baby's bed or on the floor on a mat you know those are all really great choices um and then keep one hand on the baby as you you know so they don't roll well when they're little little they're not going to get away because they don't know how to roll over and crawl and all those things but as they do get older they try to escape so keep one hand on the kiddo and be you know and by the time they get that old you'll have it down and you'll be faster too so that helps but yes that's what i think if you could have some of those baby wipes and you just wipe everything you you don't have to see perfectly but you just right. wipe everything, and you're going to have a clean baby there, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, better safe than sorry. That's kind of my my motto. And I also did the diaper cream stuff, not at every change, but I probably did it once a day, just kind of as preventative um, to, you know, avoid any rashes. And I, my son, we never had um problems of that nature so it wasn't anything that I was really you know needed to be super on top of or super concerned with it was just a preventative thing for me to use yeah yeah are those things such as like Desinex it's a cream that you would wipe on their behind area yeah yeah they have a several different brands and different you know ones out on the market and I I couldn't tell you which one's the best. I always used the Desitin, the the one that you mentioned. Uh-huh. Um, but there are others, yeah. You know, as your mm-hmm. child is beginning to get older and, you know, you're going to take your child out of the house and things and uh, you need to dress the baby, 
how do you keep all the clothes organized or matched so that you don't yeah. have polka dots and stripes? <laughs> things yeah. How so, do you do that? Lots of other. So I had a boy. So I feel like I, in a lot of hands, I got off easy because it was like, um, and he was a very skinny child. So he wore bib overalls until he was like five because his pants would just not stay up. So he wore <laughs> overalls and t-shirts. Um, but, you know, I know clothes are a lot more complicated and everybody wants to buy you cute things, cute outfits. Um, there are as many ways of sorting and labeling, I think, as there are parents. I, you know, safety pin, you can safety pin outfits together. You can, you know, the same way that you might mark your own clothing. Yeah. Um, you could use that kind of system. You could put um, a safety pin or, you know, notch a, a tag if they even have tags. So a lot of them are just those printed, you know, in they're not an actual tag anymore, but um, you could mark that with like all of them that have a single, you know, the corner snipped off match with all of the other outfits that have a corner of the tag snipped off. Oh, so it's, I, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like granimals, if, if anybody knows what granimals, if they even have those anymore. See, my, my son's 20 now, so, so <laughs> I some of this may have changed. Yeah, they're awesome. So kind of that thinking, you know, or um, some parents keep back outfits that are matched, that are a little bit nicer, and so maybe they wear those when they go visit grandma or go to take pictures or go to do things, but just around the house, they let them wear stripes and polka dots together. You <laughs> yeah. know, and I, that's okay too. I, sometimes it's laundry day and like stripes and polka dots is all that's left. So, you know, it's not the end of the world. That's right. <laughs> it's really not. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. People will remember that child, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I also noticed that uh, with, uh, you know, not all people do have these, but just because this is the sign of the times that with many of the smartphones, you could go ahead and you could identify the colors of clothing using the phones. What's your feelings about that? Um, well, I'm, I use technology. I have an iPhone. I have some of those color apps and things and I have not had real good luck with it um, it depends a lot on lighting and if it's a pattern or there's like a picture then depending on how exactly you have the camera situated um, it can tell you different colors for me um, I would just have somebody cited tell me that like if especially if it was a gift I would just have them oh it's so cute tell me you know tell me about it and take note you know tuck that in the back of your mind and then label it as soon as you get home before you forget you know? yeah oh no that's great mm -hmm. and people people do understand that you are going to ask those you know just because we have low vision it doesn't mean that we should never ask a visual-based question I think Everybody knows we have a vision problem. Many times they want to tell us the color, but they're afraid we might get upset with them. So it's good for us to say, oh, what color is this, Or you know? 
Yeah, yeah. And I, if kids' clothes are cute, you know, I do. I want to know, does it have Mickey on it? Is it, you know, cartoon animals? Like, I don't know. I, you know, just like any other mom. I'm like, want to ooh and ah over all the cute things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, now, Julie, as your child <laughs> begins to get older and they start to crawl, or they crawl away from you, or even later when they begin to walk. When you have low vision, how do you keep track of your children? Or what if there's multiple children there and you're there to watch them? What happens when Um, they walk away from you? Yeah, well, so let's start at home first because that's where your baby's going to start beginning to be mobile, crawling and scooting around. Um, I think the first really, really, really cannot say really enough important thing is to baby-proof the space. So if you're going to let your baby have the freedom to crawl around in the living room, then get those little electric socket covers and make sure the cords are all bundled and, you know, way out of reach and that the curtains, you know, can't be pulled down and, you know, all those things um, really make sure that space is safe. And if you're not sure, ask somebody that has a baby a little bit older than yours, you know, hey, can you go over this with me to make sure I didn't forget anything? That's okay. I mean, it's, it's again, it's, it's being a parent and it's okay to ask if you're not sure. Um, and I think it's really important to have that space because babies do need to crawl and move around and explore their environment and keeping them from having those opportunities can be really detrimental. You don't want to do that. So make sure the space is safe. Um, and then, you know, you can do things like put, um, bells on their clothing or on their shoes, little jingle bells, like you can find in the craft store. Um, They make shoes that squeak when, when the baby puts pressure. Well, so that would be more for a toddler. Um, When the baby walks on the shoes, they'll make little squeaky noises. They're super cute. Um, (laughs) And, you know, that's really even, you know, putting clothing that makes a rustling noise, you know, can help keep track of the baby. And then I think getting down on the floor and just playing, being there, you know, letting the baby be independent and crawl and move around, but being close enough that, you know, you can giggle along with them and, and play together and have that, that time together. Yeah, that's such a great suggestion. I didn't think about the bells for children like that, but when we did get our dog, we we put bells on the dog's collar to make certain that I wouldn't step on the puppy, and it really worked very, very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think the other thing that we as uh, adults with low vision, if we also concentrate on our hearing, I know that for myself, you know, I have five people in my home right now, and I listen to the way that they're walking. I could hear them taking footsteps on the floor, and it sounds different on the carpet versus the tile versus the hardwood floor. So 
that makes a real difference, just the way that they're walking, and you can hear it on the floor. So I would imagine a baby who's crawling or a toddler who's walking, you could hear their footsteps on different surfaces. Yeah. You know, again, it depends on the surface. It depends on your particular kiddo, you know, um, background noise, a lot of other, you know, variables. Um, I don't know that I would rely 100% on, I mean, maybe with a child that I knew that the room was safe, there wasn't anything that they were going to get into, and I was a reasonable distance, you know, away the next room or something, um, I would do that, but not in a new space, not um, if there was a lot of other you know, if, if people are watching TV or something, I may not be able to hear that over that TV. Yes. So I would want to have something where I felt confident I'm going to be able to hear that, you know, whatever it was. If you put, you know, some of those, you know, those, uh, what do they call them? Wind pants, you know, the ones that have like a yes. jacket shell, they yeah. crinkle. Those things are so loud. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, something like that even, or the little right. bells. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. now, how do you uh, try to keep the child safe so that the child doesn't happen to pick up something and swallow something that they shouldn't? You know, um, you try to keep, keep our house the, as clean as mm-hmm. possible, but uh, it, there could be something little. You never know. Right. You know, prevention. It, for me, it's really about prevention and teaching your kids as early as you can not to do that and checking, you know, let me see what you have. Because kids, they get quiet when they're doing something new or they're doing something they know they maybe shouldn't be doing. Um, And so, you know, let me see and check their hands, check their mouth, you know, spit it out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, just very hands-on, but I think prevention, prevention is really the key there. Okay. Uh, Julie, yeah. would you go ahead and continue your lecture? I got a little emergency in my home. I got to step away oh. from it. Okay? I'll be back. Sure. <laughs> sure. Oh, my gosh, you guys. So, um, I don't know. So, maybe move on to how to keep track of kiddos when you're out and about, um, shopping at the grocery store, those kinds of things. I know that has been um, a concern for a lot of new parents. You know, what am I going to do when I get to the store and my kiddo, you know, wants to run off? Um, For me, I used the bells on the shoes um, a lot, a whole lot, heavily relied on those. And then um, when my son was little and I didn't, I needed to get my stuff done and I didn't have time to chase him around the store. I just put him in the cart and he learned, you know, we're at the store, you're sitting in the grocery cart and that's what you're going to do. And there were a couple of times when there was some fussing about that. And, uh, you know, that's too bad. You're just going to have to deal with it. And I would try to, you know, make the shopping trips reasonable so I'm not expecting him to sit for hours that's not okay with a young kid you know you're just setting yourself up for failure and pain and suffering um 
But certainly, you know, half an hour in the grocery store where he's able to interact, you know, talk, you can talk about the things, you know, keep him occupied, but he doesn't need to be down and running around. And then when a child does get to be, mm, I don't know, two, three, somewhere around in there, and it's going to depend on your, your kiddo, but I always insisted that he hold my hand when we were out if we were walking on a street i was even on the sidewalk crossing a street for sure he always held my hand Um, when we were indoors in stores he was expected to stay with me Um, and if i said his name he had to answer me right away and if he didn't answer me then when i did catch up with him we left that was it. No discussion, no, you know, no compromise, no nothing. It's like, I'm very, very serious that you will stay with me. And when I say your name, you will answer. And that's a safety thing for me. And if that rule isn't followed, it's a, it's a big problem for me as a blind parent. And I would just leave the short. Um, and I, that only happened one time. And he learned the lesson the hard way, and then we didn't have to have that lesson anymore. He got it. So, yeah. So, Julie, I'm, I'm going to step in for Dr. Bill while he's out of the picture for a minute. Sure. So I assume that you said you left the store then and you didn't bother to pay for the items. You just left and eventually came oh. back and did your shopping. No. No, actually, we were at the Children's Museum. So that happened. So there was no shopping cart to abandon that day. So no, he he wanted to play. There was like this climbing tunnels and slides and I don't know, this play area thing. And he wanted to go play on it. And he was probably five at the time around in there. And I said, okay. And I went to the side of the play area and there were some chairs like where the other parents hang out. And I said, I'm going to be over here and I'll check on you every, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. And I need you to answer me, you know, just our same rule. And so it worked for a while. And then about the third time I went to go check on him, he was too busy to answer. And I had a moment of sheer and utter panic. But then I remembered to breathe and I stopped and I made myself listen and I found where his bells were and tracked him down. And I said very calmly, it's time to go. No, no, we're still playing. I'm like, no. Did you hear me call your name? I was standing, you know, right where I have been, and I called your name, and did you, you didn't answer. Well, but I met this kid, and we were playing, and we were having a thing, and, well, sorry. Your thing <laughs> is over. Your thing is over. We are leaving, and we left. And he never, ever, ever did it again. You know, so what um, other options would you suggest <laughs> besides bells for those that may not want to do the bells or the whatever on the clothing or the shoes or whatever? Do you have any other well, you know, yeah. light-colored clothing, if you can see, or what other mechanisms yeah, do you think are out there? Sure. If that works for you, you could definitely use, you know, uh, bright-colored, even a backpack or something, you know, so an accessory, you know, um, that, that could work. Or, you know, I, I used to be really, really opposed to those leashes. 
And then I've met some children, and I just think, man, them leashes are a lifesaver. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if it works, and it works for you, and it keeps your child safe, and it gives you guys the freedom to go and do things together, I say do it. So, you know, if one of those, and they make some cute ones now that are like a backpack that looks like a monkey is the one I've seen. And then the leash portion is like a tail. And so the mom or dad would hold on to the tail portion and the kiddo wears the backpack. So, yeah, I, you know, if it, if it works, yeah. But, but given the days, given the fact that we're in an age of political correctness and, CPS and all of that couldn't leash or wouldn't leash be considered child abuse by some? Uh, I think if you're using it correctly, no. Okay. I don't think so. I can't think how. I mean, it's it's a mainstream product. I mean, you can okay. go to any kind of child supply type of store um, and and get them. So I would think this is my logic that if they were some kind of serious abuse type of thing, they wouldn't be sold mainstream at, you know, any kid's store, baby supply store. So, So, again, I mean, you've got to use it appropriately. Don't be dragging your kid with it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's that's the image I had in my head, you know, about that. And that's why I asked, you know, the question that I, that I did ask. Um, the other question, we can probably open it up unless Dr. Bill comes back uh, here shortly. Do you, how do you, and you, I think you addressed this in Minneapolis and in that, but what do you do, and maybe you've answered the question, but what do you do, or how do you, how do you as a parent, a blind parent or a parent with low vision, deal with the fact that when your child becomes teenager and rebellious and thinks they can pull one over on you because you can't see, how do you deal uh, with that type of thing? Well, so you deal with it 10 years earlier. Um, you raise, so Sydney, my son, Jim knows my son. Um, Sydney says to me earlier today, he says, you know, 90% of parenting and he's, he's 20, so he has, like, much wisdom about parenting. But he says, he says 90% of parenting is done by the time the child is six years old. And the rest is just pretty much maintenance. And I, I would tend to agree. I mean, if you do really good foundation parenting, the rest is, is going to be be just a continuation of that. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't experience the rebellious teenager. Um, we just didn't go through that. And the only time, <laughs> this is funny, the only time I can remember him ever, excuse me, trying to, quote, you know, pull one over on me, um, and I think this says more about me than it does about him, but I had made chocolate chip cookies and he took the, they were in like a big gallon size Ziploc bag thing. And he took and put them up on this ledge in the kitchen that I honestly didn't even know existed before this episode. Um, 
Yeah, so that I wouldn't eat all the cookies. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, I'm not sure whether to be mad at him or embarrassed, you know? (laughs) Like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, so, all right, we'll compromise. You know, we'll split it into two containers and that one will be yours, you know, so I won't eat that one. And he was okay with that. And, and, you know, we, we went on about our lives, but that's really the only time I can, I can remember him because the cookies were in plain sight, but yet I had no idea, you know, that they were there because I didn't even know this little ledge thing on my cabinets existed. It's up higher than I could reach. Yeah. Right. You know, that that's really a, a very interesting point, though. If the child really remembers that most of the things they learned when they were much younger, it really carries over. It really shows us the importance of communicating with our kids when they're younger. And uh, mm-hmm. I'd like to hear from others in the audience, too. But my wife and I, we really made it a point so that after we had children, we actually ate dinner together at the dinner table. Before, we would eat on the sofa and we'd watch the ball game or whatever it is on. But after our kids were born, we always ate at the dinner table. And, you know, we always talked openly about different things or we would explain to them why, you know, you shouldn't drink or you shouldn't drive. And even when they're younger, uh, I have one uncle, and he loves to drink sake, and he gets so wild when he's drinking sake. But, you know, we explained, you know, when he drinks this, it affects his brain, and he starts to cock-a-doodle-doo all the time. (laughs) They didn't Mm -hmm. understand, why is this man doing this? So we're very open, and uh, my kids are now 27 and 24, and I would honestly have to say my wife and I, we really didn't encounter problems uh, of these things. They would come home and tell us that, oh, tonight, you know, we went to the movies, uh, so-and-so had a joint. And so I said, well, how did you like it? Oh, Dad, I didn't smoke it. I I didn't want any of it. So they would even come home and talk about these things, and we would have further discussion and uh, I, I hope that it was related to the way that we did spend time when they were younger. So I guess my question, Julie, is that something that you strongly recommend to your other families that you consult with, that they really need to communicate at dinner or, you know, sometimes at breakfast? You don't have that much time to talk because you got to get off to school or work. Yes. And that really gets into more of of general parenting skills. I mean, that's universal to all parents, and it's it's absolutely essential. And I think the other thing, the the big thing that I see a lot of parents do is they, like, smother their kids. And I think that may be where some of that rebelliousness comes in the teens, It's like when you don't let your younger child have enough freedom when, and there's not enough trust there. So, you know, when your eight year old says, I want to go to Joey's house, you know, and you know, Joey's parents and they only live two houses away. And I want to go play with him with his new sandbox in the backyard. You know, it's, 
unless you live in some horrible neighborhood or there's something, you know, sketch about Joey's parents, really, that's a reasonable thing, you know, for an eight or nine, 10 year old child, they should have the freedom to, to be able to go and to do things independently. And I think you need to build that when they're young and you need to build in that responsibility, you know, okay, you need to be home by, you know, six o'clock for supper and, and then leave it to them to, to do that or not do that. And if they mess up and they don't roll in the house until six thirty, you know, well, you know, we're, you're going to have to eat cold food because that's all there is now. You know, uh, and and no apologies. It just those natural consequences. And then next time, you know, maybe he wants to go or she wants to go down there, and you just say, you know, I really can only let kids that come home on time, you know, have that privilege. And so until you can do things on time, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. And just work on those things when the kids are younger. That way. When you do get to those high school years and you really can't, you know, follow your 16-year-old kid around everywhere and manage their every movement, there needs to be a level of trust, you know. And um, it sounds like that that definitely happened in your home where your kids had the, the knowledge to think through, oh, Doing drugs with the friends is probably not a good idea. Think I'll pass. <laughs> you know, they they had that foundation, um, and they had your respect and trust because they came to you and were able to talk to you about that. And that's so important. But that's established early. Um, you know what you I have to, yeah. What I also noticed just in the way that you you communicate. Uh, if the child came home late, you're not just immediately punishing them, but you're just explaining to them the consequences. Well, the soup is cold now, so you're going to have to have the cold soup. Or, I can't let you go out until you learn to come home, so once you learn to come home on time, then I can let you go out. You are actually communicating in a very calm and effective way as compared to many parents, they just punish the child. The child comes home late, get in your room, mm-hmm. <laughs> take a bath. I mean, there's yeah. no communication. It's just punishment. So yeah. I, that might be very, very important in, in what you're doing. Um, what about when it comes down to schoolwork? I know that yeah. my children were in school. And I I wasn't able to see well enough to read the diagrams or to read some of the print. And if I even took my scanner and tried to scan it, my scanner couldn't read what they wrote in pencil. How did you get around a lot of this homework business with your, your child who had normal vision? So I didn't. Um, so this it comes back to my personal philosophy about parenting and homework. And we, we homeschooled for um, the last two years of his um, high school. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely things there to work out and different techniques and things. But my general take on homework is that I already know those. I've already been to school. I already graduated. 
so it's not my homework. Um, it's not my job and it's not my responsibility. So I would be happy to sit with you at the table while you work on your homework and I'll read a book or, you know, work on some project of mine, you know, that's quiet. It's not going to interfere, but just to, you know, lend that support and help them, you know, stay focused, especially in the younger years, that's helpful. And if they have a question, I'm happy to help them, you know, with that. And then I would just have him read it. You know, like I'm really stuck on number five and it says, you know, this and this and and I would just have it, okay, read the directions, you know, what are you supposed to be doing? And then you know, read the problem and then I would not give the answer to him, but I would ask him questions like, well, how, what did you use, what method did you use on, you know, the first ones that you did? And would that work on this one? You know, why not? Well, what other things did you learn that you could apply here? You know, we just talk through um, the question, you know, what resource is, is that in the book? Could you look that up, you know, in the textbook? And now they don't even have textbooks, but, um, you know, they, a lot of it is electronic, but, you know, where could you call one of your classmates? You know, we just work through how can you solve this problem yourself? Because mm -hmm. the thing is, you can't, <laughs> you can't go to college with your kids. So they really do have to learn how to figure this stuff out for themselves. And the earlier they do it, the better it is. The more self-sufficient, the more respectful and responsible they're going to be. So um, I'm here to coach and support, but I'm sure not going to do it for you. That's kind of my my take on it. You know, that's such a wonderful <laughs> thing, too, at a young age, to teach a child, if you're having a problem, how could you get help? Maybe you call one of your classmates, you know? Mm -hmm. That's That's mm -hmm. a viable solution. Yeah. You know, another question that I had was, uh, did you ever encounter a time that your child, your son, he was embarrassed of you because that you were blind? Or he said, yeah. you know, so-and-so yeah. told me that your mom is blind, and why are you blind? The other kids, they're, they're making fun of me. Yeah, he did. And I, I should have him explain that, you know, more in depth. Um, but the, the best of my memory says that happened somewhere fifth, sixth grade, somewhere around in there um, is when that really became an issue. And it was only an issue for a very short amount of time. And I remember, you know, him being upset and, and kind of angry and I talked to him we have very open communication you know and if he didn't want to talk I was respectful of that too um, but but he did and he said you know these people said this thing and it was about you and is really hurtful and I said you know you know defended that that's my mom and she does all the same things your mom does and you know you're not going to talk bad about my mom and they you know, were continue to be nasty, and he, um, the young kids when I teach at the after school program, the saying that they always they tell me is, you just have to get big, 
Um, meaning like you have to be the bigger person. You have to be the one that's like, you know, other people are going to say nasty, cruel, hurtful things. And that doesn't mean it's true. And that doesn't mean I have to be sucked into it. And that doesn't mean, you know, it's anything about me. I can live my life and they can be stupid over there. Um, you know, and that's that's the reason right there why I gave up watching the news is because, you know, people can say awful, hurtful things and I'm just going to live my life over here and not let that get me down. Um, yeah. Wow, that so, is so good. That is yeah. very good. Well, Julie, uh, would you be able to take some questions from some of the people Absolutely. in the audience? Absolutely. Yeah, that great. Yeah, if anybody have questions for Julie... Uh, go ahead and press star 1 to unmute your phone, and just go ahead and introduce yourself and ask your question. All right. Anybody? Do any of the teachers, anybody out there have a question? Press star 1. Anybody? Well, Ooh. if not, this has been really fantastic information. And, Julie, if anybody wants to get in touch with you to ask you questions personally or maybe by email, how can they contact you? Sure. Email is probably the best. Um, my email address is Julie, J-U-L-I-E-L-J, at N-E-B, like Nebraska, dot R-R, dot com. And please feel free to give that out to anyone who asks or would like to contact me in the future. I'm very open to, uh, to talking to parents and to communicating. Um, and, you know, if, if phone works better for folks, I'm happy to give out that number after you contact me by email. That would be great. Okay, great. Well, this has been very, very good. And, Jim, thank you very much for referring Julie to us. This podcast no it will be up on the website at CCLVI. That's www.cclvi.org, and it's under the link, uh, Let's Talk Low Vision. So, again, on behalf of CCLVI and Airs LA, uh, we'd like to also thank Mr. Dick Burden, our engineer tonight. We thank you very, very much and wish you all a pleasant evening. Good night, everybody.